Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome in. But how can we make sure you are who you really say you are? Michael Calhoun, supposedly, with Travis Sheridan. Actually, we're using our real names on the show, unlike a lot of people on Twitter. That means we must not be bots. We must be real. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to talk with somebody, uh, Chris Reimer, who's been on the show before. He's a big social media guy for St. Louis, one of the people who are on the vanguard of Twitter when it launched in the area. Uh, he's got an idea for a, we know about the blue check mark that says, all right, you're a celebrity and you're legit on Twitter. But he's got a proposal for a green check mark. And this might be a way to make sure we could identify who's real and who's a bot. Yeah, and maybe change the discourse on Twitter, change what we can <laughs> trust and not trust on there, put a, put a little bit more information in people's hands about who they're talking with. That would be helpful. Yeah, it'd be nice to know uh, who is behind that little circle avatar every single day. And also we're going to talk with Chris about the latest on his startup, which is you've got one, I've got one, everybody should have one, the Busa. That's right, the battery pack that keeps you powered uh, so you can keep tweeting as a real human being. And then we're going to finish up the show by talking about where you go grocery shopping. The new uh, definitive study is out on how people feel about grocery stores around the country. The neighborhood grocers like Schnucks are really climbing this year, and the folks like Amazon, Whole Foods, Walmart, Trader Joe's, they're kind of falling back a little bit. We'll find out why. And, uh, you know, this is a kind of an innovation technology show. Schnooks made a huge jump up from 42nd to 21st in the areas of digital and discounts and rewards because of the investments they've made into technology. They've got, I mean, they have to be paying off, right? I mean, they have grocery stores have so much c customer data available to them. And now they could really, they could really change and drive how they how they manage and grow their business. Yeah, we usually talk about like the smallest of companies or big picture ideas for the region on the show. Schnucks is a larger company, but who they're competing against, Travis, are the the biggest of the biggest companies, Walmart and Amazon, right there, the first two. Yeah, absolutely, and it, so it's great to see them continuing to grow and thrive. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's take a break. Let's get into our first conversation. It'll be with uh, Chris Reimer. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Nothing Impossible right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Are you real? I'm real. Are you real? I am a carbon-based life form, yes. I am not a bot. I am not full of zeros and ones. What's funny is that's not necessarily the case on Twitter. If you go on social media, is that person real? 
I always, you know, when they have their like, my name's John Smith 062543. Like, I know that that's probably a bot, but there are bots that look even more real than the fake John Smiths. And then you've got the ones that are probably a real person, but, you know, maybe it's a picture of a dog and they've got one follower and, you know, like, who is this person? And so there's a lot of mystery on social media. Yeah, and I think the mystery leads to confusion, and the confusion leads to, like, this new reality. Like, mystery can become confusion, can become fact, can become new presidencies, like, quickly. And we look to social media for, you know, people's reaction to things, to to survey how the public is feeling about stuff. And uh, how do you do that when you don't know who's a real person and who's not, necessarily? It'd be a lot easier if there were some sort of way to tell. Should we talk to a real person? Well, let's talk to one of the like van people in the vanguard of Twitter. I remember years ago when it was a this brand new thing. This guy named Rizzo Tease was oh, yeah. just racking up the followers. Chris Reimer is joining us, the uh, St. Louis Twitter legend. Uh, he has a blue check mark next to his name, and we'll talk about what that blue check mark means. But Chris, thanks for joining us. You floated an idea out there over the weekend of a green check check mark, right? I did. And guys, I'm very glad to be here in a corporeal form and uh, talking to you as a real person. Yes, I did uh, post a blog post that discussed a new idea instead of a blue check mark, which is reserved for famous people and accounts in the public interest or whatever. I came up with the idea of a green check mark. Would you like to hear my monologue about it? Yes. Well, I mean, go wh- for it. Why a green check mark? Well, first well, off, remind people that the blue check mark is for. I don't, I don't want to say celebrities, but how, how do you best describe who gets the blue, the verification check mark? Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I think this was something that Twitter uh, instituted that was kind of a blessing and a curse. For the, the blue check mark is for people, the way Twitter describes it as accounts that are in the public interest. And so, for instance, if you are the actor Ryan Reynolds uh, and you want to use Twitter or your agents want you to use Twitter or a group of agents are going to use Twitter on your behalf or whatever the case. Or you want uh, people to use Twitter for you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, obviously people have assistants and stuff like that. So, but if you want to, if you, as Twitter, if you want to have these types of folks, uh, busy people, famous people, actors, people who run countries using Twitter, because if those people use Twitter, it seems like Twitter would be an important place to then be, which could cause all sorts of positive things to happen for Twitter. You would want there to be a way to know that you were talking with the real Ryan Reynolds and not a fake Ryan Reynolds or a copycat or a parody, someone who has stolen his identity, whatever the case. And so they came up with the idea of the blue check mark. Now, uh, Twitter has guys has historically been, you know, my favorite social media platform. I've personally used it to get a book deal, change careers, launch companies. I mean, it's just all this crazy stuff. But in my opinion, Twitter right now is about probably 20 to 25% of what it could be. It should be so much bigger at this point. It should be so much better. Full disclosure, I'm a shareholder. The price of the stock should be higher. Uh, Uh, Just interrupting you right there. I mean, there have been others uh, in the community that have said, you know, calling out Jack Dorsey, like, look, dude, you're you're trying to run two companies. The majority of your wealth is actually tied to Square and not Twitter. Does that mean Twitter is not getting the attention that it needs? It has not grown as a social network, as a social media platform, the way that other social media platforms have. And so, yeah, there have been you're probably not the only shareholder that's wondering why Twitter is not growing or why it is uh, becoming a, a toxic place. 
I can't say that it's necessarily a lack of uh, effort or interest on Jack Dorsey's part, but what I can say is that right now what is happening, it's been happening for years, the older established users of Twitter, for the most part, besides the three of us, are leaving the service, and then new users aren't joining. So the established users are people, uh, you know, 30, 35 plus are using Facebook and LinkedIn. Young people are using Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. Twitter is just left out in the cold. And part of the reason that this is happening, in my opinion, is that Twitter is hard. Twitter has always been difficult. There's always been a learning curve. Twitter has never had a decent onboarding process designed to teach us how the service works, to make us feel welcome, the amount of spam, hatred. Believe it or not, there's actually pornography on Twitter. It's probably one of the only services that actually allows it or just turns a blind eye, turns a blind eye to it. There are bots controlled by foreign governments. Uh, that, and all of this makes it really easy for users, the longtime users and the new ones, to basically back away and never come back. And the problem is is that this contributes to a really poor user experience. So here's the thing. If you're running Twitter, if you're, let's say, Jack is cold and calculating or whoever's running Twitter is running this thing on spreadsheets and not necessarily user experience, this, this fact should alarm you because poor customer retention plus poor customer acquisition equals no good people to actually advertise to. So Twitter will have less users and less advertisers. So big problem, but nothing has really been done. There's the occasional purging of accounts, but these bot armies are still running rampant. Like I said, normal users like the three of us, people who may want to learn about the world or debate current events. We have no idea who we're really talking to on Twitter, and that's kind of bad. So I came up with this idea of the green check mark. So it obviously plays out the idea of the blue check mark. Uh, Here's the thing. When you, uh, you used to be able to apply for verification, uh, now it's a completely private process. You have to know someone at Twitter. But when, when you, in the past, when you applied, you actually had to send them a copy of your driver's license. Now, this is going to alarm people like, well, I don't want anyone to know, you know my address. You, everyone should realize that most of these companies know a lot more about you than you <laughs> would ever yeah. want to imagine. But if you wanted to get that blue check mark and be like a big shot, you know, with your blue check mark, you, you have to prove who you are. And you would do that by sending them kind of this short essay of why you should be verified and a copy of your driver's license. And then at some undetermined point in the future, uh, you could get the blue check mark. We could do the same thing with the green check mark. So what would happen is if you went to Twitter and you saw someone with a genuine green check mark, you could know for a fact that they are human and that they are who they say they are. My opinion is, is that this could end up leading to people trusting the service again because they'd be able to trust who they are talking to, who they are making friends with, who they are learning from. What do you guys think about that? So, I mean, I uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I, I like I, I was thinking back to this blue check mark verification process and needing to submit a uh, resume slash essay. I should be I want to be president of the United States because blah, blah, blah. But on the on the green check mark side, uh, I mean, these these things are still hackable. I mean, everything is hackable these days. Uh, I, I like the idea of trying to build a if, if social networks are supposed to be about enhancing connectivity 
among not just ideas, but across people. Our understanding of the world. Or an understanding of the world, yeah. then you should probably yeah. know the people that are that are producing the content there. True. Now, let's say, like, Facebook has no... They're not really taking any steps to make sure that when you sign up for an account that you are who you say you are. And I have been impersonated uh, for whatever reason quite a few times on Facebook. But for on Facebook, they're, they're, they're not asking for your driver's license. So on Twitter, it just seems like it's a worse problem because it's so easy to post on Twitter and it's so easy to talk to others very quickly on Twitter. That was one of the parts of Twitter that I just was always very enamored with was the idea that if I wanted to reach out to someone who I don't know, who's famous, that I appreciate, or I just saw in concert, who I just, you know, met in the, in, in the line to get my book signed, I could always tweet them later and at least have this feeling in my heart that they might see it. And then if they ever responded, it's just like this amazing, magical moment. That's people connecting. You can, and I mean, Chris, you it's can, so you much can, easier to do on Twitter than in any other service. What were you going to say? I was like, Chris, like you could tweet somebody and then suddenly go to tacos with them and then become BFFs going forward. Right. Like you yeah. and I, like our, our friendship, our relationship started on Twitter because I tweeted at you and you were not a jerk. You were a kind person that responded back and said, who's this weird guy from California? Uh, he mentioned tacos. So I'm down. Where'd and, you go for tacos? To say, hold on. Hold on. To we got to get the on. important question in here. Where'd you go? Oh, we were at Durango up on Page, oh, which yeah. is one of the best, uh, okay. what I would say, authentic. I always do air quotes, but I mean, it really is good, uh, good Mexican. But Travis, there's nothing to say that someone couldn't have just handed you my mobile number and you text me or call me or whatever. But Twitter makes it easier and more fun. Well, and I, but everyone, I also, I also think I think handing somebody a mobile number. I think there's there's levels of privacy. Like, I don't really hand out mobile numbers of people, but I'm like, hey, you know what? They're on Twitter, which means you, if you are on Twitter, unless you have a, you know, a blocked account or a private account, if you're on Twitter, that means you're, that is a preferred way to engage you in public. Uh, it's like you're That's at a great a, point. You're, you're, at an absolutely. you're at an event and I can walk up to you and I see you at an event. I, you're in the Twitter, Twitter sphere. But giving somebody a number is, is another level of privacy. People don't. That's funny, too. On a side note, people don't necessarily always realize that Twitter is a very public place, for better or for worse. And if you don't have your account locked, you are really actually inviting anyone to talk to you. And so the other night when I was uh, celebrating the uh, Patriots loss in the playoffs, <laughs> I just was you know, doing a search for, I don't know, Sad Tom Brady or something like that. And there, I saw someone tweet something that I really liked and I responded to them and they wrote back and said, who are you? You know, and it, it's like besides having a fully fleshed out bio uh, that they could check out. It's just very funny. I wanted to remind them, you realize you're on Twitter right now. This is all very public. You're not like in a four-walled room just talking to yourself here. You know, so. Um, so what's been, but, the, what's been the response? You posted this, uh, this blog post uh, about the, the green check mark. And by the way, I can't help but notice that green is also the color of Busa. Uh, so I, I'm sure there was some strategy there. Uh, very well done, hey, sir. It's on brand, baby. It is on brand. It's on brand. What's, what's been the response to this? One person on Twitter said that there was no way they would send Twitter their driver's license. Now, what was really funny about that is the, the account itself, and I have no beef with the person who posted it, uh, is actually a really, really good example of exactly what I'm talking about. Because the account, uh, it, they don't use their real name. They don't use the real avatar. I, I can't tell if they're a real person or not. Mm -hmm. So a person in quotes. 
quotation marks. I believe it's a real person. I don't mean to accuse otherwise, but I mean, I've used Twitter long enough. You can kind of see where it may be a bot or just, you know, an account being handled by some unscrupulous person or whatever. This person doesn't seem to be that way. And I get what they're saying. If you're a total privacy hawk and you don't want to provide Twitter a copy of your driver's license, that's cool. That's cool. My idea is born from this uh, experience that I went through uh, in order to get my blue check mark. And then, as I mentioned in the blog post, there's something very interesting that you are provided once you're verified. On the notifications tab on Twitter, instead of all, which is basically anyone talking to you, and mentions, which gets rid of the likes and retweets, and then literally you can just see exactly who's talking to you, there's a verified tab. So then you can go and see that drills it down even further and it only shows verified accounts who are talking to you. And so, as I mentioned, the blog post, it's like, like we have like our pure, own little that, private party room. Yeah. That's like pure Twitter. Uh, I mean that I wouldn't go that far. What I would say <laughs> is that if you're, well, if you're Ryan Reynolds and you want to throw down with, you know, DJ Khaled and, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg or something, and you don't want to, and you can't find their, responses to you because you're Ryan Reynolds and you receive thousands. Twitter's given those mm. folks a way to just go in and see who are the blue checkmark people who are talking to me. I, I don't think it's meant to be like a private club with the velvet rope. It's, it's a matter of like helping them hone down the number of responses, the sure. volume. So what we could do is we could have a green checkmark tab and then I'm going in here and I know that I'm just talking with other human beings and they're, you're just—you're not going to be able to get the green check mark unless you go through a process. There's very few, if any, examples of people who have gotten the blue check mark by cheating, or hacking, or being someone that they're not. There's an extreme few examples of that. Let, let me play. Let me play devil's advocate. We started part of this conversation with the fact that uh, Twitter's user base has not necessarily grown uh, over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that it seems to be infected with a lot of bots and fake people and whatnot. Uh, this could be damaging <laughs> for Twitter if they were to uh, authenticate those that are humans versus bots. Uh, it might might be bad news for them. Yes, it yes it could be a way to clean it up going forward, but it could also mean bad news, don't you think, Mike? I wonder what it could also mean for the parody accounts that people love, where they're not trying to portray themselves as a person or injecting themselves into arguments, but. Yeah, they're just having fun. You wouldn't do this to the exclusion of those other accounts. Only those who are verified or able to participate at all. It would just be more of a, a filtering, which Twitter right now seems kind of like an avalanche. Right. So it'd be nice to be able to have some more filtering options. You know, there's a lot of folks who follow and really appreciate those parody accounts. Everyone uses Twitter for different reasons, and some people are in straight up consumption mode. They produce nothing. They're known as the lurkers, right? They just, they're just sitting there and they just, they, like Twitter's a way that a lot of people get their news. That, and this, this idea wouldn't necessarily take away their ability to do that. Uh, for the parody accounts, you know, if you're, if you're being funny, if you're delivering, if you're getting a huge following, I believe that people are still going to go and be able to find your tweets. Uh, and perhaps there's a stage two thing, you know, where, uh, there's a way to prove that there's a real person running that account. But for now, I'd say the green check mark is for human beings. And then I would just say that we'd have to see what happens next. We'd have to see how Twitter works in that way. If it 
damaged brands, for instance, you know, think about the small brands who just who literally don't deserve the blue check mark, but aren't going to be able to get the green check mark. What will happen to them? Twitter may have to address that. Here's the problem, guys. Twitter, in my opinion, is not addressing any of this. They're not going after, you know, at one point it was a very uh, catchy headline when Facebook hired a thousand people. I'm sure that was like the exact number they needed. It was just a coincidence that it was a even number like a thousand. They hired a thousand people to work to help clean up Facebook, to go and get rid of fake accounts and purge this and that. I have heard nothing of Twitter doing this. I believe I would have heard if they had done it. You go ahead and you clean up all that stuff and you contribute to a very positive user experience going forward. User counts may go down. Wall Street's going to have a problem with that. The stock's already not doing that great. So, <laughs> so if maybe, it was me, maybe, would, maybe an innovation that's looked that's seen as improving could uh, could actually be a boost for it. How many times, Travis, have you, you know, worked to implement some innovative idea knowing that like the payoff's not going to be immediate? Oh, pretty much my entire career. Uh, right. That's like the, the price of doing hard things yeah. is that it's going to take time and it's going to require patience. And Twitter should exercise patience, but they should be uh, constructively impatient about this. And they should realize that right now that it is not a very fun place to be. And that's where TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram probably have them beat is that you can use those three services as a human being. And after an hour, you can put your phone down and you probably will feel marginally better. Mm-hmm. Whereas Twitter, mm-hmm. I, I don't think yeah, I don't. you will feel marginally worse. That, that's actually a very interesting litmus test. Now uh, it used to be, you'd feel smarter after reading Twitter or more connected, <laughs> right? Or, right, or okay. you knew more people, but now it feels like you've got to get through so much just to get to like a so, speck of, of real, you know, discourse about substantive issues. Let's talk about that real quick. Because people used to complain to me about Twitter, and they'd say, you know, I, it's just all X, Y, or Z. And I would say, you know, Twitter is what you make of it. So if you're following a hundred people, and they're all, you know, the people at the bar that start bar fights, you know, then you're at the wrong bar. You know, you should just unfollow those people and go to a different bar, you know, or stop going to bars and go to libraries or whatever the case. You know, it's Twitter's what you make of it. I can't say that as much anymore because people, you know, going into the trending topics, I mean, people, you're able to see a lot of stuff, even if you're not following people. And if you, if Twitter will suggest things to you to look at. So I do think that Twitter, you know, we are somewhat in control of what we see based on who we follow. But at the same time, Twitter is doing all of its users and the young people growing up right now who haven't joining Twitter yet. They're doing them a great disservice by not working to clean clean up the bar. I wonder if the way people use the service, even if it's the same people you're following, but just the atmosphere is a little different. Well, let's pause for a minute, come back and ask Chris about his company, Busa, after this on KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back. We're talking with Chris Reimer about his idea to improve Twitter by making it easier to tell who's a real human. Give us an update on how Busa Tech is doing. Was just traveling. Busa saved me multiple times. Take it everywhere I go. Uh, tell us about your uh, the latest with your iPhone and other electronic device charging. 
Yeah, for, so for people who don't know, Busa uh, is a portable phone charger. It gives you basically the ability to carry around what I call personal private power. It's basically a private power source. You don't have to go and plug into that strange USB port at the airport or hope that the plug in your airline seat's going to work. It's a way to carry around basically two days of power and keep your smartphone up and running so you can go on Twitter and get all depressed about things. But boost is going really well. Like I said, we were about a year and a half in and sales are going well. I had a Black Friday, Cyber Monday that was much bigger than 2018. So that was really exciting. And it's just always cool to know that there's folks like you guys who, you know, bought them and rely on them. Boosters have just traveled all over the world. That's just a very cool feeling. So it's going well. I'm hoping for a big 2020. Well, I will tell you that uh, the Busa that I bought is traveling all around the world because I lost my ba- I lost it in uh, in Rotterdam, and so somebody found it, and they're enjoying uh, Busa, and I am not. So I need to jump online. Speaking of jumping online, uh, where can people learn more about Busa? Because I need to get a new one. People should check out BusaTech.com. So Busa is spelled B-O-O-S-A. So BusaTech dot com and uh that's also where the blog post is if you go to the blog if anyone wants to read about my crazy green checkmark idea go to the blog on boosatech.com and if you want to uh follow the blue checkmarked chris reimer you can do so at chris reimer on twitter thanks for talking with us chris it was a real pleasure thanks for having me and we'll be right back with more nothing impossible right after this Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Michael and Travis with you, and let's continue our conversation about local technology and innovation. You know, usually we get into startups, really small companies on the program, but a St. Louis based company that's competing against some of the biggest in the world when it comes to retail is showing up as having a lot of success lately when it comes to technology, uh, digital approaches to connecting with customers, rewards programs. And let's bring in John Springer, the executive editor of Winsight Grocery Business, to explain this to us. And thank you for joining us, John. Well, thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. And so first of all, what is this survey that we're talking about, uh, the U.S. Grocery Retail Preference Index? Uh, Who's doing this and what do they take a look at? Yeah, it's a, run by a company called Dunhunby, which is a uh, kind of a data uh, company that um, helps retailers um, uh, connect with their their customers. So they talk about loyalty and um, uh, creating the right uh, offering for the shoppers. Yeah, everything from the selection in the stores to how convenient it is to shop at a particular retailer to the price and even, you know, how well they're doing when it comes to uh, embracing digital. And when it comes to grocery stores, it feels like Kroger is out ahead there because you can go online and you can actually order ship products from there uh, and do the pickup and do the delivery. But how does Schnucks, uh, the St. Louis-based grocer that's Midwest, uh, their territories in the Midwest, how does Schnucks do in this? Well, I think they, they, they are like um, many other grocers. They have to kind of meet their shopper where they are. And if that means that they prefer shopping on their phone, then they've got to be able to connect with them up by their phone or on, you know, doing e-commerce from home or, you know, in the store. So it's, you know, they talk about this idea of omni-channel and, and that's the idea, you know, meeting the customer where they are in the way that they want to shop. And also in terms of uh, the rewards programs and digital coupons, and that's becoming so much more important. Schnucks 
had ranked 42nd in that category previously, discounts, rewards, and information. They jumped up to 21st. 42nd to 21st is a pretty big jump there. Yeah, and uh, that's an interesting survey because, you know, in addition to, um, you know, ranking the, the retailers by, you know, what they call the, the, the consumer preference, um, they suggest that the companies that, that do well in this survey also tend to, uh, you know, have financial success that follows. And Schnucks competing against uh, the Walmarts, the Targets, entrants like Fresh Time in St. Louis as well, in addition to uh, Save-A-Lot based in St. Louis. Uh, how important is it for retailers to embrace digital and loyalty uh, in order to retain and attract customers? Yeah, it's uh, you know crucial today. And you know one of the interesting things you see is companies will tell you that the, their shoppers who engage with them digitally in addition to, you know, shopping at stores are their best customers, tend to be their best customers. Uh, the other thing that, you know, a, a uh, digital offering to consumers can do is broaden the range that a store can draw from. So you are able to get more spending out of your existing customers, maybe also pull in some customers who might not be shopping with you. So uh, Schnucks, again, jumping from 42nd to 21st, but who are the tops in this? Uh, I guess overall, what are the best grocery stores in America? Yeah, it's, it's the usual suspects. <laughs> um, you know, strong regional grocers, uh, they pointed out this year, HEB in Texas, which is uh, tremendous, Trader Joe's, um, which customers love, uh, Publix, Wegmans. Um, these are, you know, typically these guys are... Um, you know, regional or multi-regional uh, grocers that have a real strong connection with their customers locally. So HEB, which ranked top, is, you know, a, a really well-known and really well-loved in Texas. And they're all about sort of Texas. And I think that matters. You know, it's a little bit um, uh, difficult for some of the brands that are in multiple regions to really feel like a, a local guy. And I, I think that that is one of the reasons you see companies like Schnucks uh, climbing the ranks. Yeah, this year really seems to be. We've got HEB, Wegmans, Publix is in there too. Um, and these are just like Schnucks. These are these regional grocers. They've got a strong local feel. Many of them are privately owned. I wonder how much of a role that plays into it versus these companies like Kroger and Albertsons who are facing shareholders on a regular basis. And when it comes to investment, they face you know pressure about that. How, how big of a role does uh, being private help these these local retailers i think it helps them quite a bit i mean that's what they would tell you anyway and uh yeah i mean you know they give up a little bit in terms of the scale and the the you know power that some of the you know national guys have but they really do gain something back in uh you know local you know tight connections with their with their customers what would you say really sets uh specifically looking at the list top uh, top 15 HEB Wegmans and Publix we hear about them all the time you go to business insider or whoever and they're always writing about them and i wonder if that's because of the geographic proximity they're in new york and wegmans is right there so they're going to write about it or what is the what is the difference what sets these three apart uh, and is schnooks uh, similar to them just uh, not ranking as high maybe because of visibility or geographic uh, reach or um, you know how does schnooks compare to this top tier 
I, I think Schnooks is doing a, a, a very good job. You know, they're they're really getting out in front of a lot of uh, some of the trends that you're seeing out there. For example, this is not a big deal, but I know they've got, you know, uh, robots in their stores that are, you know, scanning the uh, stores for inventory and kinds of things like that. So you're seeing a lot of retailers that are, uh, you know, making some investments in some technologies that are helping them to be more efficient and um, operate better. That gives them, you know, money, uh, uh, investment. They, they can kind of plow those savings into uh, ways to connect closer with their customers. You know, as to the, the the top ones you mentioned, like I said about HEB, they're all about Texas. They run like magnificent stores. Their their selection is is great for the shopper there. You know, Publix does a very good job with service. Um, you know, they say it, but they also back it up. Uh, Wegman's a little bit different. They have a really unique format. Um, you know, beautiful stores with uh, uh, a lot of like great merchandising fresh prepared foods uh it's really kind of a an event or a destination to shop there and as we look to the future uh is there a sustainable path forward for these regional grocers who again have limited geographic area that they they go to in terms of the scale they can get i know uh you know many of them actually i believe wegmans and heb i believe are in the same uh, topco alliance as schnooks they share store brands and and that sort of thing but is it uh is it are we going to get to a point where these regional grocers will maybe need to merge to compete against whether it's a Walmart or whether it's a pure play like a Kroger? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, you know, a number of regional grocers had been rolled up before, uh, you know, making companies like Kroger and Albertsons as big as they they've been. And some of those um, acquisitions were were home runs and some of them weren't. <laughs> um, but I think it really, you know, kind of takes two to deal. So uh, if the company is looking for a parent and a and a, a larger entity uh, wants that growth, you know maybe there's a match to be made. But uh, I I really can't predict that at this time. What what generally are the trends in grocery, whether it's technology or new uh, convenience features, new ways to get your hand on the product that they're rolling out, or new approaches within the store for folks who are actually physically still going and not ordering online? Um, you know, we you mentioned the robots uh, that are doing. Uh, stock checks inside of schnooks what are the trends that we're seeing that uh that maybe schnooks we will see there in the next few years i mean i think it, you know broadly speaking it's about uh convenience price and quality which is you know three things that that were highlighted in this study and really there's different ways of going about it so the uh companies are definitely looking at technology uh you know ai is a means to do everything from stocking shelves or doing checkout or ordering or doing their you know sales flyers and those kinds of things that's really making some headway in the industry now um you know as far as the consumer goes it's about uh convenience it's about uh health it's about um uh you know uh, local products and natural and organic foods those kinds of things so you know they're all kind of attacking it in their own way um, but uh, generally, you're seeing you're seeing you know a lot of creative ways for for companies to kind of go after these these big overarching trends. And being connected to the customer is what they'll tell you is really the thing. So it's the customer driving it, not necessarily the the technology. The technology is enabling it. And when we take a look, um, you know the the rise of uh, 
uh, Kroger has a whole division that is just dedicated to artificial intelligence and data insights. And I believe they, they crunch the numbers to figure out, do we put the bananas on the first shelf that people see when they walk into produce or do we put the tomatoes there? It gets that detailed the way that they use data. Yeah, it, and and yeah, getting their arms around the you know a, a grocery store creates massive amounts of data. You've got your loyalty programs that track what people shop, and and now you can integrate that with what they're looking at online. You get real precision there, and so it's a challenge, I guess, for the grocers to uh, be able to kind of synthesize that information and kind of turn it into actionable insights that they're that they're using. And then that can show up anywhere from, like you said, where the bananas are placed or how many bananas are placed or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Amazon ranks high. I don't see the Whole Foods logo, though. I see the Amazon logo. And we keep hearing that Amazon is developing some sort of grocery store concept that's separate from Whole Foods that they're, I believe, going to introduce in California. What is that going to look like? What do we know about that at this point? Or is it still mostly a mystery? And are they going to go slow and roll out, you know, in these big markets? Or might we actually see an Amazon grocery store in St. Louis sometime soon? Well, I couldn't uh, be sure of that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's known that uh, Amazon is opening its own grocery store uh, beginning in California. I think they've identified at least one or two sites at this time. Um, but there's a lot of speculation about uh, where else they might be showing up. Um, there's been some reports suggesting that they were looking in markets like Philadelphia and Boston and uh, elsewhere in the country. So uh, we'll see how that goes. It's it's uh, um, it'll take a long time <laughs> to to build real you know density and and scale. But what what will happen, I think, is is the, the industry is going to look at. Uh, these stores and and really go to school on them because you know Amazon does things differently. They've got a long record of disrupting every industry that they get after, and and groceries one of the last that they've really yet to make a huge impression. When it comes to these uh, local grocers, or at least local branded grocers, uh, from H E B to the you know brands like uh, Ralph's, they're showing up uh, high on these rankings. And uh, is this? A change in consumer sentiment? Are they saying, I'm not going to go to Walmart or Trader Joe's or Whole Foods anymore. I'm going to go to the local local grocer. Is this, you think, a long-term trend that we're seeing? What do you think is driving that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. Again, this this particular survey would would highlight, you know, those companies that, uh, you know, take what they would, they would call a consumer-centric approach. So, again, to... to you know, if you kind of unwind years back, you had grocery stores that were very much run, kind of process driven, uh, you know, an efficiency from the warehouse to the shelf to the customer. And now they're now they're beginning with the customer and kind of going backwards. And so, the you know, the, the, the companies that are that are up there um, are doing that. I think the idea that you, you can be local and is, is an important aspect of it in the consumer's mind and I'm, I'm sure the good ones uh are doing a good job of sort of reminding their shoppers that that that's what they're about and this gets into i mean this report has so much uh so much detail uh whether it's uh younger people what do they place an emphasis on more on quality than price it looks like but then as they get older and they have kids they begin to put price more up front any other insights from this that you think are interesting or that we can uh you know use to learn about why we choose to shop where we shop. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know they they've uh, argued now for a couple of years that uh, you know it's about price and quality, but price is is kind of gaining or, or you know moving up the spectrum on sort of how people uh, make their decisions, and that has a lot to do with the fact that the millennials are coming up and becoming shoppers and and having families of their own and shopping for the first time, and you know they might not have the uh, financial uh, you know uh, strength that their previous generation would have. And so, you know, that, that's a, that's a concern, but at the same time, they've also got, um, you know, what you might consider higher standards as to sort of what they'll accept. So they want to do, uh, you know, food that's sustainably sourced or, you know, packaged properly and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they really kind of want it all. They, they want the best quality. They want the best price. Uh, they want to, they want to do business with a with a company that they they believe cares about them and cares about the environment and and that kind of thing. But that's all coming in as well. And I'm looking at another article of yours entitled "The Food Store of the Future." And John, uh, you know, we've heard, for instance, about how folks in the warehouses may be replaced by automated picking machines uh, that uh, pack the pallets that go to the stores, or maybe the box that gets mailed to you. But what else might we see in in futuristic grocery stores also beyond, I guess, the stocking robots that we see at Schnucks now? Yeah, well, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that we we referred to a little bit earlier. But, you know, one of the things you're seeing in some stores now is, um, you know, in order to enable uh, efficient means of uh, picking and preparing orders for, you know, grocery pickup or delivery, uh, some Grocers are experimenting with what they call mini or micro fulfillment centers, which are robotic 10,000-foot uh, warehouses that might be built on the back of the store or um, you know, on an adjacent property. And they will do the, the work of a, you know, an Instacart shopper who might go pick things off the shelves. Much more efficient. And that helps them you know, deal with the cost of fulfilling those orders. That's important because... It's hard to do e-commerce grocery without losing a lot of money. And finally, uh, we're talking with John Springer of Winsight Grocery Business. Finally, John, uh, save a lot. This was in our news this week about the uh, infusion of cash that they've gotten and also a refinancing of their debt. Is this going to, because we've had some stories about both their efforts to revitalize and some of the strides they've made and also some of the challenges they've faced. So what does this do to change or maybe not change the trajectory of save a lot's uh, recovery efforts, so to speak? Yeah, uh, well, it's hugely important for the company financially uh, so that they can be sure that they are paying their bills and, and you know, staying in business. What was interesting about the, um, uh, the refinancing is that it's coming along with um, uh, the implication that the company is going to look to be a wholesaler and not uh, a dual wholesaler and operator. So I think the, the plan for Save-A-Lot, uh, according to my sources, is that they will look to sell their corporate stores and then kind of focus on being a wholesaler to their independently run stores. And I know we talked about some of the issues they've had with some of their independent operators. Uh, that's good news, I think, for the, for the independents who might have felt that the company was kind of overlooking them in, in, in trying to be an operator and a wholesaler at the same time. All right. Well, John Springer, Winsight Grocery Business, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. And thank you for joining us this week. Download the podcast, and we'll talk with you again next week. Baseball is back. 
and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.